so Dan, I know you know this fact, but hopefully I'm gonna add a little bit of depth to Ooh, the fact. Like so it. my historical fact of the week is um Harry S. Truman, former president of the United States. Do you know what his middle name S stands for? It's just saying it stands for S. It does. It just stands for S. And you know why? Because they couldn't decide on which grandparent to name him after. Exactly. So Harry S. Truman, the S just stands for S. Like, it's no name. But do you know what the two grandparents were called? No, I don't. Okay, so this is what I'm going to add to your knowledge. So the first one was his mother's father, who was called... Oh, God, I've lost it. Hang on. It's on this page somewhere. (laughs) Oh, here it is. Okay. So, who was called Solomon Young. Solomon. That's a good name. Solomon Young. I like it. And the second, obviously, was his father's father, who was called Anderson Ship Truman. So, it wasn't even his... Ship. That's an easy. Two... That is an easy decision. Solomon or ship? Ship with two P's. So I'm guessing like that's another surname or oh, something. Boy. Just um, Solomon, guys. Or why didn't? Why wasn't it called like Harry Solomon Ship? Truman? Yeah. Like a lot of people have two middle names now. My goddaughter has two middle names. You know. Like, but you then, just, like, love my my niece and nephew. They both have two middle names. But then he would have been called Harry S.S. Truman. And in the aftermath of World War II, it's yeah, not may- the best name. Maybe not. To, to be going by. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the fact. So when you... I'm sure other people have heard that fact before, but now you can add to the the knowledge with an the extra little tidbits about what his grandparents were actually called. That's uh, some bonus points in a pub quiz, I'd say. Bonus. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Yeah, not bad. I'm uh, balls deep in a uh, squid game at the moment, so I'm enjoying that. I finished it ages ago. All right, all right. I like watched it in two days when it first came out. So obviously it's exploded, but because I'm a fan of both horror and South Korean tv already when it came out i was like oh i'm gonna watch all of this and i launched in two days and i was like wow this is really good i should tell people about it but now (laughs) i don't have to because literally yeah everyone knows about it it's really good i'm enjoying it it's uh it's not i thought it was just gonna be a ripoff of uh battle royale like um hunger games was but it's not it's got yeah there's i mean because of um the way that south korea is in terms of it's kind of poverty and yeah, how people would, you know, what people do for money. It's very much uh, an economy based on America. Yeah, and it doesn't work. Hmm. Um, my friend Paul yesterday was telling me about, it's called like the Big Mac Index. Yeah. And basically what you uh, earn... Um, you can kind of like how long do you have to work to earn the money to buy a Big Mac? So over here it's what a pound one fifty. Yeah, yeah. So you and I wouldn't have to work very long yeah. to make that amount of money. And then, but then over in different countries, let's just take South Korea mm-hmm. as an example. Their Big Mac say is like their equivalent of a 
of a pound or whatever mm. how long does each person need to work to make that amount of money and just like the differential is just a lot bigger yeah, yeah. so some people would have to work like a month yeah whereas some people would only have to work like a second so that's like look at jeff bezos he could buy like he could buy i don't know a million big macs in like one second yeah or something <laughs> that's such a weird thought <laughs> it's just a ridiculous amount of big macs oh and for those of you that don't know this is have you ever heard of <laughs> yeah. a podcast where we talk about history and that's dan and i'm katie <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's your turn very... today huh it is my turn, turn yeah so we are con- continuing on our horror spooky Halloween Horror theme. spooky month, yeah. <laughs> and like, this is spooky, or it is to me anyway, like, because obviously, as you know, I do believe in ghosts. Yes, Dan, ghost- we've talked about this before yeah. on the podcast, Dan's had ghost experiences. a ghost experience or, or a number of ghost experiences. So this scared the shit out of me when I was in the research. See, I it. do not believe in ghosts, however, I um do like horror films and they do scare me but the, i like that they scare me because is that's because, a real reaction is that because you do deep down believe in ghosts but you just tell yourself you don't and that is... I, I really don't dan though mm. i i have had i've had one experience that freaked me out well there you go see how Where, would you explain it it wasn't a ghost experience it was i was alone in my parents old house and the telephone rang. I picked up and I said, hello. Yeah. And the person on the other end said, goodbye, and hung up. Yeah, that's pretty freaky. It freaked me out, but I didn't I didn't think it was a ghost. Well, it might be a ghost. It could have been. I do not <laughs> deny. I You are in your, perfectly in your right to believe in ghosts. And to be honest, I think it would be pretty cool if like ghosts did exist, because then you could believe in... like anything else like you might as well just believe in magic or see it's not, it doesn't kind of like conflict with my like belief system because I, I consider myself like agnostic as opposed to atheist as opposed to me i consider myself an atheist yeah so yeah i guess if if ghosts did exist and i saw some proof i would then have to question like all of my beliefs exactly. in terms of what doesn't doesn't exist however let's well, go on to let's your have a look at this because like story. I, I, the, what's interesting about this story is there's enough people that like corroborate it okay that makes that well, it might it might put some doubt on your mind let's see okay let's so see. uh have you ever heard of the enfield poltergeist oh yes of course yeah yeah so famous from enfield <laughs> So, right, let's go through the story. Uh, so, it was about the podcast, but, you know, it's it, it's going to cover the entire family who are involved, especially the youngest daughter. Uh, uh, was she the youngest? I think she was. Yeah, Janet, who yeah. was 11 at the time. Janet has them. So, so, at the beginning of the story. So, on the night of the 31st of August, 1977, at 284 Green Street, a council house, in Brimsdown, Enfield, London, a single mother of four children, Peggy Hodgson, heard loud noises coming from her daughter's bedroom. She stood upstairs ready to tell her daughters, Margaret 12 and Janet 11, to pipe down and go to sleep. Instead, she found them cowering in the corner. As Janet recalls, we told our mum the chest of drawers was moving towards the bedroom door. I oh, don't be silly, the mother replied. <laughs> but just as she said that, Peggy saw the drawers moving by themselves in the direction of the door. It was as if some supernatural presence was trying to trap the girls in the room. 
Instinctively, she tried to push the drawers back against the dresser, but twice again they moved. On the third attempt, they wouldn't budge, as if held in place by an invisible force. Terrified, the family ran across the street to their neighbours, Vic and Peggy Nottingham. Everyone's called Peggy around this place. Yeah, big. Loads of Peggy. Everyone loves a Peggy, and like. Peggy is like Margaret, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, in London, definitely. Everyone's yeah, called Peggy so... in London in that to- <laughs> at that time. Uh, anyway, um, uh, sure, there were some simple, rational explanation. Being the 70s man he was, 70s man, Vic, marched <laughs> around to the Hodgson house. But as soon as he entered to investigate, he too said he heard strange noises coming from around the home. Frantic knocking coming from inside the walls. And he booked the fuck out of there. <laughs> he was like, nope. nope. <laughs> and so began what would be a horrific, high-profile, near 18 months of haunting. Now, it'd be easy to dismiss this as a hoax, right? Where it just have been the Hodgsons and the neighbour Vic in on this. I mean, it's not difficult for two sets of neighbours to work out a story between themselves. Yeah, of course. Um... You know, pictures or it didn't happen. I want some pho- photographic I want evidence. video yeah, all that evidence. Shit. However, yeah. the police were freaked out enough by what they saw to call the police. Arriving on that same night, the first on the scene was WPC Carolyn Heaps. As she recalled, a large armchair moved unassisted four feet across the floor. It came off the floor maybe half an inch, I'd say, and I saw it slide off to the right about three and a half to four feet before it came to rest. She claimed she has no idea how or what caused the chair to move. She inspected the chair for hidden wires, but could find no explanation for what she had just seen. She's even signed an affidavit that she had seen the chair move. So that's a Mm. cop. A cop. Yeah, but like... So like someone about... could have pushed the chair and it moved. We're not could talking like a slippery s- floor. <laughs> We're not talking a small dining chair here. We're talking about like a full armchair, no wheels. This is like an armchair. How did you know there were no wheels? This is why. This is what <laughs> I I've got from the uh, from the stuff I've read. Okay, okay, let's continue. Uh, but what are the police can be able to do? After all, ghostly happenings are not a crime. What the cops can do? Arrest a ghost. So telling the family that the incidents were not a police matter as they couldn't find anyone breaking the law, the police left, leaving the Hodgsons to go to the press. I mean, it is a bit weird that you go to the press next. I mean, there's probably other people who can help, but maybe not. I mean, maybe the press get you some attention, then people who could help might come. Anyway, they went to the press next. So soon, photojournalist Graham Morris, then at the Daily Mirror, received a call uh, that he has since described as life-changing. So he went around to the house, and to him it was clear that uncanny things would occur when the children were there. As he recalls, as I stood in the gloom of the kitchen, one by one the sleeping children were brought in, in the arms of adults. The last one to come in was Janet. Suddenly things just took off and started flying around the room. People were screaming. I got hit by a Lego brick over my right eye. (laughs) He was hit so hard that he still had the mark a few days later. He's convinced that the objects weren't being thrown by anyone living. <laughs> anyone living. <laughs> he moved to the corner to have a clear view of every person there. None of them were doing anything. So that is his... That's his claim. Okay. Following this, he set up a camera in the children's room, set to go off in the event of movement. What the camera caught, he believed, was very strange. 
So Graham describes the sequence of photos that he took at the time of Janet levitating. In the photo, Janet looks to have come up uh, from a prone position, flying across the room, and she's in midair. In others, her face is distorted in pain. Now, a lot of critics said the photos just look like she was jumping on the bed. And to be fair, they do look a lot <laughs> like she was jumping on the bed. However, on two occasions, two separate witnesses outside the house with a view towards the bedroom window have said they spotted Janet floating in the air. The first was Hazel Short, a lollipop lady. She claims, <laughs> all of a sudden I heard a bang. I saw a book hit the front bedroom window and that was followed by a pillow. Then another book, then a pillow again. And all of a sudden I saw Janet going up and down in front of the window. I thought she was jumping up and down on the bed. But when I looked, she was horizontal, going up and down with her arms and legs going everywhere. I suppose half a dozen times. It was frightening. I didn't think it would be because, to be truthful, I was a bit sceptical. Well, after that, I wasn't. The second witness was a baker, John Rainbow, who was delivering bread to the school opposite. He claims, before that day, I would never have believed anything about it, although I had heard various rumours about what had been going on in that house. The children appeared to float around the room at the same time the curtains were blowing into the room as, as if they were a draft, although the windows were completely closed and the children appeared to be revolving around the room in a clockwise direction. The children's arms banged against the window twice and I was frightened that the force she banged against it, that the window frame would have gone. I fully expected her to drop onto the road. I was frightened. There was no doubt about that. So, like, the okay. first one does sound like kind of like bouncing, but the second one, revolving in a circular motion, seems a bit strange. Yeah, I just had a look at the pictures, and the, it does look like she's bouncing on the back. I know, yeah, that one looks like a lot. But, I mean, these witness like, reports sound a bit different to uh, to that, but... I Pixel mean... didn't happen, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Following this, the BBC were contacted. The BBC did go to the house and set up equipment to record any goings-on. However, upon return, the crew found the metal components in their tape equipment had been twisted and the recordings erased. Not, it would seem, by the family. Next, mm. the family sought help from the Society of uh, Psychical Research. I think it was it. Yeah, Psychical. Society for Psychical <laughs> Research. The society sent Morris Gross, a former military man and veteran of the Dunkirk evacuations, to lead the investigation. And Guy Leon Playfair, a poltergeist expert who subsequently wrote a book, This House is Haunted, about his experiences. So let's find out about these, about these guys. So, after the war, Morris had become a bit of an inventor. His most successful patent being the Royal... The rotating advertising board. Boom. Talk invention <laughs> there. Uh, so in August 1976, so a year before this, his 22-year-old daughter Janet, was tra also called Janet, was tragically killed in a motorbike accident. So her death led Morris to join the Society for Psychical Research, undoubtedly to help cope with his grief. So there might be some... Vested interest here in his take so, on this Some, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, his partner on the job guy was actually reluctant to become involved at first, convinced that the whole thing was a hoax. However, when he arrived at the house, he soon changed his mind. So Gross, the guy whose daughter died. So this is what he has said of his experiences. 
As soon as I got there, I realised that the case was real because the family was in a bad state. Everyone was in chaos. When I first got there, nothing happened for a while. Then I experienced Lego pieces flying across the room and marbles. And the extraordinary thing was, when you picked them up, they were hot. I was standing in the kitchen and the t-shirt leapt off the table and flew into the other side of the room while I was standing by it. In early November 1977, Gross confronted the prisoners in the living room. As I asked a question, are you having a game with me? It threw the cardboard box and pillow right in my face. During his stay at the house, Gross said he witnessed more than 2,000 different incidents of supernatural activity. Janet describes some of these. Furniture turning over, cups filled with water, fires igniting, voices, levitation. The most frightening encounter was when a curtain wrapped itself around my neck next to my bed. I remember the curtain being wound around my neck. I was screaming and I thought I was going to die. My mum had to use all her strength to rip it away. One day, Morris and a visiting neighbour found one of the children shouting, I can't move, it's holding my leg. And they had to wrestle the child from what all involved insisted was the grip of invisible hands. The BBC returns when Ros Morris agreed to join Gross for a nighttime vigil while the family was asleep. She said after the girls went to bed, there was a very loud crash upstairs in their bedroom. On investigation, the two saw a huge chair had moved about nine feet across the room. She believed it would have been impossible for the girls to do. Something chucked the chair across the room, she said. I'm convinced of that. One of the most chilling aspects of the haunting is said to have been the knocking. It would run down the wall, fading in and out as it apparently played an unnerving game with the family, who became so scared that they slept in the same room with the lights on. Most of the activity seems to have focused on the 11-year-old Janet. She later told Channel 4, I felt used by a force that nobody understands. I really don't like to think about it too much. I'm not sure the Pulsegeist was truly evil, it was almost as if it wanted to be part of our family. It didn't want to hurt us. Aww, just let it be part of the family. <laughs> it died there and wanted to be at rest. The only way it could communicate was through me and my sister. So Janet would often go into a trance-like state where she would speak in a gruff, scratchy, manly voice. The voice appeared to emanate from behind Janet, who said the voice felt like it was coming from the back of her neck. The voice identified itself as a former resident of the house, Bill Watkins, who died aged 72. He was cross-examined by Richard Gross, Morris's son, a newly qualified solicitor at the time. He asked if the ghost remember how it died. And I'm going to play a clip. I'm going to play the clip uh, uh, of, of this cross-examination, which has Bill telling okay. uh, us how he died. Go for it. So he had a hemorrhage, did you yeah. say? Yeah. So he says, 
uh, I went blind, then I had a hemorrhage, and I fell asleep, and I died in the chair in the corner downstairs. The voice also announces later I'm invisible because I'm a G-H-O-S-T. So despite her claim that the ghost just wanted to be part of the family, she also said about Bill, the man who spoke through me, Bill seemed angry because we were in his house. So did Bill actually have a hemorrhage and die in the chair downstairs? The story was later corroborated by Mr. Wilkins' son, Terry. Okay. Now, many think Janet simply put on the voice. Many think she was just a talented ventriloquist, though she apparently never used these skills again in later life. Uh, I mean, when would you use those skills? (laughs) I mean, like, if you had ventriloquist skills, you might just bust them out. I'm actually quite a good ventriloquist. I'm not even joking. Really? Like, me and Matt were, like, doing it the other day. He was, like, pretending he was only good. And I was like, I'm going to go. And he was like, actually, you're pretty good. (laughs) It's a bit weird. Did you, like, project? No, I'm not very good at, like, doing (laughs) other people's voices, though. So it's just my own voice without moving my lips, basically. I'm going to have to check this out. (laughs) One day. Uh, okay, so, however, Janet would speak in a gravely menacing voice for hours at a time in one experiment. She, uh, she was made to hold a quantity of uh, water in her mouth, yet the voice still came through. I mean, like, so these are just kind of like basic ventriloquist skills. However, an academic has uh, stated his belief that Janet was not producing the voice consciously. According to a professor from Birkbeck College, and we have to respect that because we went to Birkbeck. Big respect. <laughs> Um, so he conducted uh, a study and concluded that it was next to impossible to speak at length in such a way due to the damage such speech caused to the vocal cords yeah I can I can understand that yeah uh, however skeptics have alleged that the um, voice uh, that originated from Janet was produced by false vocal cords above the larynx and had phraseology and the vocabulary of a child. Magician Bob Courty has said that Cross made some recordings uh, available to me. Having listened to them very carefully, I came to the conclusion that there was nothing what I heard that was beyond the capabilities of an imaginative teenager. So, we've got both sides of that. 11, though. That's not really a teenager. Yeah. And it's very like deep for that voice. On the edge of secondary school. However, you know, there are smart 11-year-olds and mm-hmm. creative 11-year-olds and they have big imaginations. Yeah. Bigger than we do. And using the phraseology and the vocabulary of a child kind of suggests something. But I mean, like, but in the recordings I've heard, I haven't, I, I haven't really heard that, but, um, but neither like, of us there's an a expert. lot more out there. Mm. Um, also... Um, that puts doubt on the on, on this entire story is Janet has actually admitted that they fabricated some of the occurrences. She told the she told ITV News in 1980, oh yeah, once or twice we faked phenomena just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us, and they always did. However, she does claim that the vast majority of it was not faked. So speaking in 2007, Janet, then in her early 40s, Said in a rare interview, I know from my own experience that it was real. It lived off me, my energy. Call me mad or a prankster if you like. Those events did happen. The poltergeist was with me and I feel, in a sense, he always will be. So when did this happen? 1977 to 1979. Okay, so when was she talking to ITV? Uh, 80, 1980. Oh no, it was 2007 that was, but 
So she's on like a few like interviews. Okay, I was going to say like she's not 40 yeah, yeah. by that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes uh, more sense. <laughs> uh, so by the autumn of 1978, the hauntings began to die down. However, the knocks and taps continued and there were further bursts of activity during the summer of 1980. Can I just say that even though I don't believe in ghosts, um, obviously if this had happened to me, like knocks and stuff, I'd be moving so fast. Oh, yeah. Exactly, but that's the thing. Is like people thought that they were just uh, kind of playing up to it to try and get like another uh, like council house, but their council their council house is big. It's quite nice, like, and they didn't move out of it ever. So, I mean, like, they weren't doing it for that reason. The haunting sticks out in the family, though. Uh, as Janice says, it was hard, and I had a short spell in the Maudsley Psychiatric Hospital in London, where they stuck electrodes into my head. But the tests proved normal. I was bullied at school. They called me Girl Scout and put uh, and put crane flies down my back. I'd dread going home. The front door would be open. There'd be people in and out. You didn't know what to expect. I used to worry a lot about mum. She had a nervous breakdown in the end. Her brother was called Freak Boy from the ghost house and people would spit at him in the street. Oh. Janet herself was on the front page of the Daily Star with a headline, Possessed by the Devil. She left home at 16 and married young. I lost touch with everything. All the coverage of the case in the paranormal books. My mum felt people walked over at that time. She felt exploited. Even after hauntings, tragedy would follow the family. Janet's brother, Johnny, died of cancer, aged just 14. That's so young. Later, Janet lost a baby son to cot death when she was only 18. Of the house, she said... As long as people don't meddle the way we did with Ouija boards, it's quite settled. A lot calmer than when I was a child. It is at rest, but will always be there. So they, uh, so they busted out a Ouija board. That's what started it all off. Uh... I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Peggy continued to live in the house until her death in 2003. After that, the Green Street home was taken over by Claire Bennett, who, like Peggy, was a single mum with four children although in this case they were all boys, of her time at Green Street. Claire said that she frequently felt a presence, as if she were being watched. At first she had no idea about the home's history. Her sons would wake in the night hearing people talking downstairs. Claire then found out about the house's history. Suddenly it all made sense, she said. They moved out after just two months. One of her sons, Shaka, 15, said, The night before we moved out, I woke up and saw a man come into my room. I ran to my mum's room and said, We've got to move. And we did the next day. So the bandit stuck around in Green Street for just two months. The house still stands and is occupied by a new family who do not wish to be identified. The mother says simply, I've got children. They don't know about it. I don't want to scare them. So who knows what <laughs> occurrences are happening behind the closed doors of so, 284 Green Street. So if you know horror films, you'll know that The Conjuring 2 is based on yeah. the Enfield case. And that's got Ed and Lorraine Warren in it. Yeah, they Were do they show part up. of it? Yeah. yeah, but they only came for like a day. They weren't really part of the investigation. Yeah. I think that in The Conjuring 2, they like ramp up they they make it yeah. like, look like they were there more than they actually yeah, were yeah. i mean for those of you that have seen the series and know my view well, might know my views on this ed and lorraine are terrible people yeah definitely <laughs> they you know exploitive. they exploited people who were in distress and yeah a lot of that wasn't even like yeah it, it, they're just terrible 
Yeah, so, there's like like the still like the conjuring two is like a massive exaggeration of this because there's like demons and stuff and like like Bill's meant to be like a nice ghost who's just like caught up in it. I think I haven't seen it for a long time, but yeah, the, the conjuring two is is you know it's a James Wan production. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely yeah. like ramped up, but um, it was okay. I mean, like to be honest, in, in that series, the first one is the only one really worth watching. Yeah. Um, so oh, go on. What do you think, then? Well, this is what I was going to say. So the <laughs> thing with um, ghosts and demons or whatever, I feel like if it did exist, we would just know by now. It's that same thing with like time travel. If it exists at any point, we would know by now. Because I think if it did exist, there would be either more... There would be more evidence to convince people of the fact is just not convincing enough to me. I think but that even all these witness, yeah, all these witness statements. Well, all I was together talking. Is I was talking to... to. I was talking to my friend Paul about this, mm-hmm. um, who's also a big horror fan, and he said, "If I ever saw a ghost, you're at perfect yeah. liberty to not believe me." Yeah, and I think that's the thing. You have to see it for yourself. Well, that's it. That's the thing. Is like there probably has been plenty of evidence, but because people won't believe unless they see it, and so like this is the one thing where people need—well, not one thing, but one of the. This many is the thing that people need actual self-empirical evidence. They yeah. won't like trust someone else. So like any kind of trusted source, it has to be they themselves, because it has so many implications. Like it is genuinely scary. Like it will, what it means for like life, the meaning of life. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a total mind fuck. Because it's too I, much for people to, yeah. to accept. Because I I got to a place where I I believe in only what exists on the, yeah. this planet. If that happened to me, I would like screw my mind up because yeah. I would no longer be in that place. Yeah. I just even if something freaky happened to me, like I don't know, I went into the kitchen and all the cupboards were open. Hmm. I. My first thought isn't going to be like, it's a ghost. My first yeah. thought is like, ugh, I can't believe Matt left all these covers open. Yeah. And if he's like, no, I didn't, then I'll be like, I can't believe you're lying to me. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So my mind doesn't go there. So unless it was like very clear that, that was the only explanation, mm-hmm. that's the only way I would believe in it. Yeah. That's the thing. So there's a massive resistance. Well, I saw the glass on the floor and I was like, ghost. Yeah, so there's nothing else. There's Dan's nothing else story is that he had a glass of water on the side. He went out of the room. He came back in, and the glass was on the floor, but like full still, full. right in the in the middle of the in kitchen the floor. Of the floor, which is very odd. Yeah, I mean that's 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 impossible. Unless there was someone living in the basement, that's the only access. They could have been somebody living in the basement and the, the entire time that we were there. <laughs> and it kept running up the stairs and opening the basement door while I was sitting in the kitchen and then running away. That was the other thing. So we like there was a yeah a, ba- a door leading down to the basement, and I'd go and I'd lock it and I'd walk back. By that point, I was just doing all my work on the like um, kitchen table next to like the the patio door by the like back garden, so I could just run out of the house. <laughs> like in a, and honestly, like, like I honestly don't know why you stayed in that because we didn't have, any, didn't have anywhere else to live for that time. Like, yeah, we that's were like house sitting. We were trying to find like desperately. We moved out like really quickly after that. We found like a like a flat like down the road that was nice and not wanted. Um, <laughs> 
but by that point and like the just like the basement door would just constantly just swing open it's a through breeze dan it's through breeze but i mean like but i'd lock the door (laughs) and i'd go and i'd close it again and i'd lock it i mean like the lock was flimsy like sure but did you go down into the basement to see if nobody was living there fuck no well there you go that's That's even more scary but it's 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 a human not a ghost and the cat used to be just you know freak out constantly just peg it for no reason yeah cats are skittish like that (laughs) and uh, oh yeah and also like the lock broken i mean like all the stuff i mean like sure can be kind of but it's just weird like sure i got locked in a room that was weird and someone had to like come around and bust bust the door i was like in colchester at the time someone's like come around and bust the door down to get her out of the room (laughs) honestly they had to like take the door off like the like oh man it was fucking horror it's so scary that house yeah, I, w- I probably wouldn't have stayed in there on my own. <laughs> Not gonna lie to you, Dan. I don't like staying on my own flat on my own. But that's more for like murder reasons. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't want to get murdered. Um, so on that jolly note, <laughs> we will be back next week with more spooky slash horror slash Halloween goodness but in the meantime please do follow us and leave us a review if you want to or give us a five star rating it really helps with the itunes algorithm <laughs> uh follow us on social media no one seems to like interact with anything we're on twitter so i'm going to try and do instagram because that seems to be like a better platform at have you ever pod i have you ever pod and don't have nightmares <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time bye, bye.